there was one main theme that I noticed with people is who were in debt. They didn't want to make more money because their point of view was I make more money and all I have to do is pay off my debt. And the one piece I would say is you still have to live. You still have to be joyful. You still have to live. Yes, make that demand to pay off your debt, but you still got to live. So what if you could get out of debt joyfully? And what if there's a different way to go about it? Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F-word. Welcome back to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. I am pleased you are here for another fascinating conversation. This week, we are joined with Simone Melissus. Before I get into this episode with Simone, I have a favor. If you have enjoyed the podcast, I would love it if you can head over to Apple Podcast and leave a review. If you're new to the podcast, welcome, and I'm glad you stopped by. In this episode, I'm thrilled to be joined by Simone. She's an entrepreneur, an author, and founder of Joy of Business. Simone has also been instrumental in growing access consciousness from four to 167 countries, mentoring entrepreneurs globally to create greater wealth and happiness. On today's show, she shares her personal journey of how she transformed her relationship with money and got out of debt, as she says, joyfully, which is also the name of one of her books. Get ready to hear Simone's insights on the power of choosing what you know, embracing relaxation and peace, reframing judgments, and being open to receive, how our energy with money can impact our financial lives, and the simple yet profound shift in perspective she had when she asked herself, what if the purpose of life was to have fun? I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation with Simone Molasses. Simone, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for having me here. Yes, I am pleased to have you on the show. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Before we started recording, we were sharing our weather and turns out that we are probably 57 degrees apart from each other in temperature wise. So I'm a little jealous of your sunny 22 in Australia, but that's okay because that's the way life goes. It gets cold in Canada. Well, well, I am amazed at your minus 35 degrees. That's like something I've never been in. So it's like another planet. <laughs> Sometimes when you go start the car and it doesn't really start and everything's frozen, it feels like we're in another planet. I had so many different areas that I thought we can start. I really want to get into your book, but I thought we'd start with Gary Douglas. Mm-hmm. So Simon, at the time you met him, why did his words, don't trust me, trust you, speak to you at that point of your life story. I love that. You did your research. I was going through a lot at that stage. I just had this friend who had died. She went to Bali and she got bitten by a mosquito and died. And I was so angry. You're like, you know that movie, Four Weddings and a Funeral? And they talk about they want the, you know, the clocks to stop ticking and the dogs to stop barking and this whole thing. And I was just like, I just wanted to yell at the world. And I was at this mind, body and spirit festival, the company I had at the time, I used to exhibit there all the time and everyone was walking around, you know, hugging heart to heart. And, you know, I've got this, I've got that, I've got this, I've got that, like all these answers to what would make you happy or what would make your life better. And I was just so angry and so frustrated. And I think every suppressed anger in me was coming up and I just wanted to shake people and say, you know, there's something different than this. I met Gary Douglas. I actually got my bars run first, which is a hands-on process that we do in Access Consciousness. And it started to open up something in me where I guess it was receiving is the way I would put that now. And I met Gary Douglas and this man just intrigued me. I'd never met anyone like him in my life. And 
I'm going to say now what I acknowledged and what I recognized was he matched the energy of what I knew was possible in the world. So I went to hear him speak. He was doing a seminar on relationships and I had no interest in relationships, but I wanted to hear him speak. You know, at this Mind, Body and Spirit Festival, I mean, I've made some great friends there and they have some great products, et cetera, but everything is about this sale of if you don't buy this, you're going to be less than. And it's that general sort of energy. And when Gary spoke, I love that he swore because at this time in my life, like I said, I was just like, you've got to give me something real. Give me something raw or I'm going to kill you basically. You know, and he swore he was irreverent. He was so freaking relaxed there on stage, et cetera. And then at the end of this seminar, he said, don't trust anything I say. Don't trust me, trust you. And I was like, God, that's refreshing for someone to actually say, don't trust me, trust you. Like how many times are we empowered to know what we know? It's like most of the time people are trying to give you an answer. And it was the first time someone had said that. And I was like, oof, who's this guy? And that's when I knew, I was like, I need to find out more about this. You know, you said something there, empowered to know what you know. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Can you expand on that? That's a very interesting phrase. It's actually the tagline of Access Consciousness. It became that after quite a few years, empowering you to know that you know, because you know, okay? And it's like a lot of the times, like, you know, when someone will call and you go, oh, I knew you were going to call, or I knew this, or I knew that, you know, or I knew it was going to rain. I knew this, you know, and you will acknowledge those small things. But what if you know so much more than that? The problem I see that occurs is people know, and it's so quick, it comes really quickly. And then you start thinking about it. And then, you know, this reality will talk to you about what's the pros, what's the cons, what's this, work it out, like blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, what if you didn't have to work it out? What if you knew? Here's something that I did many, many years ago. It was really fun. We were in London and we went to London Tower and I was with Gary Douglas and his daughter, Grace, and Dane here, who you've had on your show. And it was the four of us. And we walked into London Tower and Gary said, okay, let's do something here. He said, I want you all to, as you're walking around, ask what do you know? Who do you know? Like, what do you know about all of this information here? And it was really interesting to walk around because there was some things like, say, the weapons. You were like, I know about this. Or the jewels, I know about this. Or a statue of someone. And you're like, what's that? Like, for me, going to school, I studied all histories. Like, majority of my topics were history, and I loved history. But what I also get now is, I mean, we've lived a billion lifetimes. It's like we know so much more than what we're willing to acknowledge. And even if you pick any topic. And if you go, oh, I don't know anything about that. My suggestion is stop and ask, what do I know about that? Just because you haven't studied it, because you haven't read about it. What do you know about it? Because we know so much more than what we're willing to acknowledge. I mean, money. It's like, what do you know about money that you've been refusing to acknowledge? Like we know more. And then we look at other people as this reference point to choose our life. Well, what Gary was offering right at that moment, and he didn't sort of verbalize this, but energetically, I I know, and that's what it's been ever since the last 21 years working with Gary and Dane in Access Consciousness is like, choose what you know. This is your life. Choose it. So what do you know? So I would just play with the tool of it. It's like, I mean, I did a class years ago and there was this, uh, I think she was like 13 or 14, this kid in the class, right? Four-day class, get this manual, everything. And then she goes, we had a break and she stood up and she went, Simone, She went, this is brilliant. She went, there is nothing in this manual that I don't already know, but nobody's talking about it. And I was like, from a 13-year-old kid, and I was like, brilliant, because it's so true. Yeah, it's such an interesting reframe. Like, what do you know about this? Because usually we've got this innate bias towards what we don't know. Yeah. So uh, you meet Gary at this conference at a point in your life where it sounds like you needed someone to give you confidence or see help you see yourself as opposed to saying, I'm your guru, follow my six-step plan and you're going to be happy. Oh, yeah, God, no. I would have rejected that in a second. I was like, no, you, you, don't, tell, you don't tell me what to do. <laughs> but <laughs> I tell you what he did do. But I, I actually met him and this little short story is I was on my stand and like I said, I was angry and frustrated and just I, I just desired something really different, Sean. Like I, I was like, this can't be it, you know. And he walked around and I'd heard of him, but I'd never met him. And he walked around the corner with a friend of mine and I got introduced and he sort of leaned over and, you know, gave me a hug and I hugged him and I pulled away almost instantaneously. 
And he looked at me and just smiled and he said, you know what? He said, your life would be a lot better off if you were open to receiving. And I looked at him like, you're a crazy man, you know? And, and he went, your business would be better off. You'd make more money. He said, you'd be happier if you were open to more receiving. And simple, right? Really simple. And that night I went home and I could not stop thinking about what this man had said to me. I was like, what the hell does he mean? Like my life would be better if I was open to receiving. Because I don't know about you, Sean, but I've spent a lot of time throughout the years, you know, over a, a cup of coffee or a glass of wine talking about what is the purpose of my life? What am I here for? What am I meant to help? What am I, is it animals? Is it people? Is it, you know, and trying to find this purpose of what I'm meant to give, like give, 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 give. And this man now was talking to me about receiving. And like I said, let's go back to, I was really cranky and angry that my friend had died. And I walked over in the morning and I was so petulant, like hands on hips and everything. And I walked over to him and stood in front of him. And he was like, looked at me and he was like, yes. And I said, I have a question. And he was like, okay, what the hell did you mean when you said I'd be, I'd have a lot more if I was open to receiving? I didn't think I was allowed to receive. I thought that was wrong here on the planet. I thought you had to give. And he looked at me and he was like, okay. And he said to me, do you want to go outside and have a chat? I went, no, yes, no, I don't know. Because <laughs> I was just like, ah, you know. And I eventually said yes. And I went outside with him. And I don't exactly remember what he spoke to me about, but I remember the energy he was. And it was this very, I'm going to say gentle, empowering, no judgment energy. And he just, he had his hand so lightly on my back and he just asked me questions. And he asked me questions so that I would have the awareness of something different. And that is so much about what, like the work that we do. I mean, Socrates spoke about it as well. It's like, you know, asking questions. What if you were being in question? It's like, what do you know? It's like, what else is possible? You know, how does it get any better than this? And he was questioning me of what I was choosing to see if I'd like to choose something different. And I did. So there was this moment when we finished chatting and we stood up because the access had a stand there and it was at one end and my stand was at the other. And he looked at me and he said, which way are you going? And he meant like simple, which door are you going in, you know? Mm -hmm. And and I went, I'm going with you. And he was like, he laughed and he was like, okay. And then we started walking around. But I didn't know it at the time. I meant it. I'm going with you. I've been working with Dane and Gary now for 21 years. So I knew what I was choosing. I was choosing something different. And, yeah, here I am today. Wow. You know, so many different fascinating elements to that story. In your book, How to Get Out of Debt, Joyful or Joyfully? Joyfully. Joyfully. Which throws people. They're like, yeah. joyfully. <laughs> <laughs> um, but your story is making me think of a couple couple chapters. So often when we have this perspective of money, I like this idea of receiving. We're always, it seems like we're trying to get, not necessarily receive. And like to your, to Gary's how he can recognize that hug you were, you know, standoffish, not leaning in. But it seems like with our money stores, we're always trying to get rather than to receive. And I want to draw a link between two chapters because 21 years later, you are, what are you talking about receiving? But 21 years later, you have a chapter called Ask and You Shall Receive. So you, you figured something out in the last 21 years about receiving. How is the art of receiving and also, your, your chapter, I also liked not being vested in the outcome. So I bring that up because often I think in money, we start a business because we want to succeed. We want to make this much money out of that business. We are like so tight. We hold these outcomes very tight-fisted. And if they derail, which that's life and usually does, then we often become self-negative talking and so forth. And then maybe we can't receive. So my question is here, is there a link between this softness that Gary had that allows us not to be so vested in the outcome that allows us to receive? Yeah. And gosh, Sean, there is so much in everything that you just asked. Like there's like, we could talk for hours on this. <laughs> <laughs> the first part that you meant, well, one of the parts that you mentioned was when you get derailed. And so many people look at the derail as something that's bad or I failed. For me, every time I've derailed, oof, have I gained awareness? Like that is just, that has created so much more for me. You receive in the derailing as well as you receive in, you know, I guess like the monetary success or, or whatever you want to call that. I think there's success in every single thing that you choose. Like one of the sayings I grew up with, I used to write on my pencil case at school and it was for me because I was always so confused about life. I was like, this seriously can't be it, you know? 
And I would write on my pencil case, imagine what you would do if you knew you couldn't fail. And for me, you know, what I've noticed with business and everything is it's not about failing because it's just about a different, a different route that you take. You know, you get derailed, but it's like, okay, what am I going to do now? I'm going to dust my knees off. I'm going to, you know, pick myself up and choose something again, choose something different, choose something new, choose something fresh. And that no one can take that away from you. The only person that takes that away from you is you. Like you have that every single day to choose something different. And I will say that that reference to the gentleness that Gary was being, I've discovered is this relaxation. So many of us, especially in business, you know, and with money, you know, like you said, you you focus on the, what can I take? What can I take? What can I get today? What can I get today? You know, all of that energy. And it's this, this focus energy. Whereas if you actually relax, like just relax in every single molecule of your body and with your business and every project that you're working on, you you think is this necessity that you've got to get this done today. If you relax and go back to what I was talking about before, being in question, like a lot of the times I'll wake up in the morning and before I even get out of bed, I'm asking questions and I'm like, okay, so where is my energy required today? Because I work on it. I have a lot of different projects, a lot of different businesses. You know, we are worldwide. We're in over 176 countries. So there's a lot going on. And if I woke up and went, oh my God, everyone's demands and everyone's needs is what I had to adhere to, I'd be a crazy person. And I'm a little bit crazy, but (laughs) that would be a weird crazy, you know. Mm. So I literally wake up and ask a question of like, where is my energy required today? And if you function from that place of relaxation, you'll have that awareness, you'll have this like download, like you'll hear something or, you know, I mean, nowadays, oh my goodness. I mean, do you remember the days when we used to have a phone that just made phone calls? That's all it did. And then computer, it's like, you know, you had emails was the big thing. Now we've all got a zillion platforms that we're dealing with. I see so many people wake up and this desperateness to like, look at what they have to handle rather than being in question of where is my energy required today? And if you be that, There's like, even as I'm talking about it, if you can tap into that energy of it, that relaxation, you have the awareness of what else is possible. You have the awareness of who or what requires you. And then you put your attention there and it's like, just this like flick. It's like, okay, let's move that. Let's open that. Oh, this door's open. Let's walk through there rather than get that to that busyness of everything that you've decided that you have to do. It's like being in question on what choices, you know, what choice do you have today? So that's how I would refer to all of that. It's that relaxation, embrace the relaxation, and especially around this time of year. I mean, it's insane. It's just crazy, the havoc that people create. Oh, and I wanted to address the the, the take something because I'm pretty sure in my book I refer to this is the what we call like the give and take program versus the gifting and receiving. So you know, there's give and take. It's like, I mean, Christmas is a great time for that. Like, you know, you've got all the presents that you have to give and it's like, how much money are you spending and who do you spend more money on? And, you know, all these crazy things that go on in people's heads and then they create this insanity and the sort of the joy leaves from it. There's not much fun in it. Whereas if you're not functioning from this give and take energy and you start functioning from gifting and receiving, really different place to be. You know, when you give something to someone and they totally receive it and you're, it's so joyful for you. I mean, you've got a, you've got a daughter. I know that. And it's like when you give to something and she receives it, it's like there's this whole energy that gets created. And in that you both start to receive and you receive more than you can ever imagine because it's not cognitive. It's like there's so much more possible in this universe. And we start limiting it to this give and take rather than, okay. Even if you wake up in the morning and ask, what can I receive today that I wasn't willing to receive yesterday? This like tender approach to receiving is really interesting. As I'm thinking here, even with this cold snow, like it makes me feel so warm and cozy at night when I go outside because there's such a contrast. And but that's where my brain kind of quickly went is like, you know, I, I'm receiving the snow as it is. And it, there's actually... If you lived in Canada, you would actually find some enjoyment over these cold days because you put the sweater on. If you have a fireplace, you put it on. But there's other days where you're just swearing at this weather and your day's miserable. Interesting, because the way you spoke about that, the the comfort of it, mm-hmm. you gave such an energy there of like the beauty and the elegance of it. I always call it the snow. And I have a friend from Canada and he goes, 
it's always weird when you say the snow going to the, the snow, snow because he grows up and goes, it's just outside, you know, he grew up with, just go outside. But I'm like, let's go to the snow. <laughs> but there is, there's a, there's such a beauty in like when it snows and you're outside and you're just like, yeah. it's just, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But what if you could have that wonder in, in everything? I mean, the same thing here with the heat, you know, it gets hot here and it's so wonderful. You go outside and you've got the sun on your skin and it's beautiful. And there's other days that everyone's just, you know, bitching and moaning about how hot it is. What if we didn't have that place of the bitching and the moaning where you literally stop receiving and no matter where you are, you ask to receive the, you know, the beauty and the elegance and the earth and everything that it has to offer and and really being question of, okay, what else is possible? Yeah, you know, it, it's really fascinating, this idea of receiving. I, I thank you for bringing it up. And when when we think about money, I mean, there's so much energy sometimes we interpret in different ways if it's negative, positive, neutral around money. If we look at the academic research and the academic books on economics, money has always been defined as a store value. That's it. But there's so many people who are arguing that the money, it's a currency which implies energy, currency. And we feel this currency or this energy throughout all our interactions around money. But yet if you go to the textbooks, it's always a store sense of value. Many people are saying we should re, maybe not should, but we may benefit by changing our perspective around money and really classifying it in terms of energy. Based on your perspective, what is the relationship? What relationship have you observed, if anything, between money and energy? I've got a good story with that. My father, who he died about 10 years ago, and he was such a kind man, like unbelievably kind and very empowering. Like my whole life I grew up with, he would say, your life is your choice, Simone. You need to choose it. I'll be here for you. I mean, it sounds so funny because he was always trying to give me money. And I was like, I don't need your money. You know, I can make my own money. And I would do this thing of being petulant again. You know, I would never receive from him. And I would say, no, 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 no. Right. And then it was many years later. And I actually went to a class that Gary Douglas and Dane here did on money. And they've got a book. They wrote a book about it called Money's Not the Problem You Are, which I think is a brilliant name because Mm -hmm. it's true. Money's not the problem you are, you know. And I went to that class and I started using those tools. And one of them was like, was about receiving. So this whole relationship with it, I actually looked at how much in debt I was. And I, when I figured it out, I was 187,000 Australian dollars in debt. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do about this? You know? And one of the people I spoke to was my dad and he wanted to give me a check for $50,000. And like I said, I had refused money from him for years and years and years. And there was something in me that I just went, okay. And I received this check for $50,000. And Sean, I watched as I received this check, his whole body just relaxed and lightened up. And I realized, wow, I've been so unkind to my dad for all these years. All he wanted to do was gift to me. And I've been refusing to receive from my father who absolutely adored me. And he just wanted my life to be greater and greater and greater. And all I did was fight it. And this day when I received this check, I just went, wow. And I was like, what else can you receive from that gifting, you know, and that kindness that somebody is willing to be for you? And how many times do we refuse that? Like even when someone says, hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? How many times do you go, you go, no, 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 I'll get it. Oh, I've got this, you know, rather than thanks. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a cup of coffee. You know, it's a $50,000 check. <laughs> it's like, but if you start receiving, more shows up. Like that's how it works. More shows up. And as I started receiving, it's like, like I have money now. I have, I've done really well for myself. I actually have really good investments. I've got three, you know, stock portfolios. I do really well in them. I've got real estate. I've got money in the bank. I've got gold. I've got silver. I've got, you know, all of this. And I also realized the other day, huh, I've sort of become complacent with this now. Like now what else is possible? What would I like to create in the world? How would I like to, you know, spend my money to create a future? And that's what I'm exploring at the moment as well. And what's the answer? I don't have an answer for you yet, Sean. I don't know yet. What quickly comes up for me, like initially is, and that's that knowing, boom, is 2020 was really interesting for me because I traveled. I mean, it's interesting for everyone, but I traveled like 10 months of the year and all of a sudden I was home sitting in my lounge and going, okay, what am I going to do now? You know, 
And I started to look at my whole life and everything like business, money, relationships, sex, body, you know, geographical, all of it. And I started to ask myself questions. Well, what do I want to choose here? What would I like to create? You know, one of the things that became really apparent to me was I desired to be more in communion with the earth. And because I live in a really beautiful place, the beaches across the road, it's a lot of nature. And, and that was really important to me. So I do get that that's remains very important to me. And I'm like, if I made so much money, what if we could do things like buy up the Amazon or buy these places that, you know, there's a lot of places here in Australia where they're building, whether it's the koalas homes. And it's like, what if we gave them their homes back, you know, or what's that contribution without having to, you know, pick it and fight and have this resistance to it. Like not from resistance and reaction, it's more from what can I contribute to the earth or what can that be like? So I don't know, it's something I'm exploring and playing with. Like we have a property in Costa Rica called El Ugar and we're currently building it and it's amazing. It's huge. And the way we're building this resort, I've never seen a place that the land is just, you know, you feel like you're on a National Geographic show. It's like, you know, cue the caiman, cue the big exotic butterflies, you know, you know, cue the sloths. And it's like, they're all there. And then we're building on this land and it's like, it's all coming together. It's like, you know, this man-made stuff in nature. And I'm just like, whoa, this is amazing how it's all coming together. I'd like more of that in the world. It's making me think of this idea of, I know you said how to get out of debt and with joy or joyfully, but this idea of joy. And in your book, you talk about money follows joy, not the other way around. And as you're talking, I could see your tone and your, your mannerisms. You have positive inflections that maybe are joyful. So when you, when you think about this, this relationship that you aspire to have with money where you can receive, it's tender, what does joy feel like for you when you're in this optimal relationship with money? For me, it's a lot of sense of peace. Like there's no judgment. And trust me, I've judged myself, like spent my entire life judging myself every day. You know, it's sort of like wake up and the litany of judgment that you have. I mean, you, you start with my body. It's like, how many ways can I judge my body, you know? And then it was like, how many ways can I judge just me, you know, everything I do and say, and how many ways can I judge this? And I wouldn't want to be in my 20s and 30s for anything again. It's like, that was just messy is why I would refer to it. And now it's like, wow, what a sense of peace. When I literally made the choice to stop judging my body, my body started changing and I started being so, having way more fun with it, like in this sense of joy. But with that, I'm going to say the sense of peace. And then when money became something that wasn't this huge thing that's so significant and meaning, like Dane, who I know was on your show, I remember one day I had this money in my hand I was in Europe and I had all this euro in my hand and he said to me, when are you going to let yourself receive that? And I said, what are you talking about? And he went, that money's yours. The money that's in your hand is yours. You earned that. And I went, yeah. And he went, when are you going to receive it? And I looked at the money and I went, God, you're right. It's like I was, every time I made money, I was doing this thing of like, how quickly can I get rid of it? What bill do I have to pay? It's almost like, you know, do you want it? Like, it was just like, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it. Because there was something about money that had so much meaning and significance to me that I was like pushing it away as fast as I could. And I was like, oh, what if I just had it? So I started educating myself on just having money, like just receiving money. And that energy of that, I guess it's a sense of peace. Like there's a, there's a tool that I used and it's putting 10% away for you, right? So every $100 you earn, you put $10 away just for you. And I thought this was so dumb. I thought it was the most stupidest tool in the world, but Gary and Dane were talking about it. And I realized that what I was choosing wasn't working. So I had to try something different. So I started doing this and I promised myself for three months, I would use this tool and see what showed up at the end of it. So every dollar I earned, 10 cents away for me, you know, as an honoring of me. And it's not for a rainy day. It's not to pay those unexpected bills or go on a holiday or help a friend out. It's literally just as this honoring account for you. And at the end of three months, the one thing I noticed was it wasn't a huge amount of money that I had sitting in this account, but I had this peace with money. I didn't have this urgency of how am I going to pay the rent? Because money was coming in as well. So I would say that the peace that sense of peace is what has shown up for me. And I'd like more of that, please. Like mm-hmm. in all this havoc and the crazy in the world, it's like more peace, please. You mentioned this a few times now, this peace with money. And as you explain that story in your book, you really talk about how, I mean, certainly I'm guilty. Uh, I don't know if it's guilty, but I, I observe myself doing this and many other people's 
putting so much significance to money. And it seems like as you're talking about peace with money, there was that flip of the relationship where you started putting 10% away and you started putting more significance to yourself as opposed to that money. And it's interesting because in, in the in the field of financial psychology, there's this term called financial comfort zone. And it's a zone that we're just comfortable in. And often we do self-sabotaging behaviors to keep ourselves in that zone. And I'm hearing you speak about you want, you know, oh, geez, I don't deserve this money trying to give it away. And often it takes a shift in like a, a psychological belief in some shape or form. And I hear that you almost traded the significance or outsourcing the power to money to then flipping it to yourself of giving you peace. Were there any other things that you could recall that helped you make that transition of no longer putting so much significance to money and just allowing this peace to exist? Yeah. And I love the way you referred to that with the that comfort zone with money, because I definitely have experienced that in, in many different forms over the years. And one of the things that showed up for me was when I really put change, like looked at, okay, I've got to change my point of view here. I need to choose something different in order to get out of money, you know, get out of debt and to create money. And I remember sitting in my office one day and I was looking at all my accounts and everything. And I realized I had money. I was like, oh, I'm no longer in debt. And I was like, really? And I was like, that's it. <laughs> I was like <laughs> pretty disappointed because I was like, wow, because there's an energy, there's a comfort that I found when I was in debt. And that thing of like, oh, rent's due, got to do that. Or, you know, I'd like to go to the snow. It's like, get the money to do that. Or, you know, it was this urgency and making money. Like you'd put your, your, your attention on money as this source of creation, but it's not, it's such a lie. It's like, we are the source of creation. Money is what shows up when you choose it, you know? And it's like, but we are the source of creation. I think that sense of peace comes when you realize that every action you take creates something different. And even if you wake up in the morning and wake up joyful, like, you know, people always go, oh, when I have X amount of money, I'll be happy. No, it doesn't work like that. It's like, you get to choose happy, you know, happy's free. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can just wake up and choose happy and choose happy and choose joy. And then money comes your way. Money likes to go to the party that is, you know, joyful. It just enjoys that. So when I realized I was out of debt, it was two weeks later, I realized I was back in debt. And I was like, wow, that was interesting. I, for two weeks, I had money and then I found myself back in debt. So I was sort of, I'm grateful because I was smart enough to, to make the demand of myself to notice this. And when I did, I started asking myself questions, which is in my book, what do I love about creating debt? And people go, oh, I don't like creating it. Well, if you're creating it, there's something you love about it. So I looked at that and I kept asking myself these questions. What do I love about creating debt? And, and I realized it was comfortable for me. I knew it. I knew that energy. And so when you say that comfort zone, I definitely been there, done that. I knew what that, I know what that is. I didn't know what it was like to have money. So then I made the demand of myself and I went, okay, Simone, what would it be like for you to actually have money? Let's discover that. We, we've done this. Let's explore having money. And like I said, Sean, it's the last few weeks I've looked at this too and gone, okay, like I, like I have money. I'm not struggling. I have enough money to also, contribute to others, et cetera, and whatever I choose to do, you know, but what's beyond that? What if I started to discover what is beyond that? And the first thing that I noticed that comes up is there's this projection or this judgment of others, even, even it might be energetic of, oh, isn't that greedy? And it's really interesting because it's like, well, there's a lot of money in the world. And it's like, what if it was okay to receive it? And what if it wasn't greed? What if it was okay to ask for something more? And not to even justify it that, oh, I'm going to do good things with it. I'll do whatever the hell I want with it. But what if it was okay to receive more? What if this wasn't this bad, evil thing to actually ask for more? And what if you could continuously step outside of that comfort zone? Because we, we find ourselves in that all the time. Like there was a, I was trying to um, help a friend find this apartment in Los Angeles once. And we're driving around all these different areas. And I notice we drive to this area and I'm like, and this would be cool. You could live here, you know, and it was very like sort of middle-class area. And then we drove to another area that I was sort of like other doors locked, you know, <laughs> check the doors, you know, and I realized, oh, this is like of a lower class area. And I didn't like that energy. 
I felt comfortable in this middle-class energy. And then we drove to Bel Air. I don't know if you've ever been to Bel Air. I remember driving through the gates and I, li- I literally whispered and I went, are we allowed to be in here? <laughs> and then I realized, oh, I'm not used to this energy. And the first thing I did notice was there was a sense of peace. There was a different energy with that amount of wealth. So ever since that day, I was like, I'd like that. I'd like to actually have more of that and see what that's like. But not to make, like as we were talking about, Sean, not to make that this significant, meaningful Mm -hmm. thing or even a necessity. It's like I have me, you know, I am the source of creation. My choices and my action creates how my life shows up, not money. Money's just fun to have around. You know, I like expensive champagne, not cheap champagne. I like traveling, you know, first class or private jets, not economy. It's just, you know, why would I choose that if I can have this sort of thing? So it's like, what if we were always reaching for more and that wasn't this judgment of bad or evil or awful? It sounds like not from the same sense of scarcity or I'm not enough unless I have that champagne, that first class ticket and so forth. Throughout your book, I see this theme of judgments and you brought it up a few times. And I think it's so tricky because they're so unconscious, these judgments like, oh, you know, do, do I deserve this? Does that person deserve this? Who are they to make that that amount of wealth or not that much of wealth? I like this idea coming with peace because it makes me think of just knowing ourselves. The, mm. As I hear you talk, it's just like knowing who I am and being comfortable with that perhaps is one of the many areas that we can find that peace with a relationship with money, not to your point of once I attain this much, I'll have peace with my money or be happy because we know that the bar just keeps going more and more and more. In your book, you say, I, I believe it, if your life was a party, would money come? Mm-hmm. And you referenced that a little bit in your earlier comment. Can you just elaborate on where was your mind at that made you think of this analogy? Because like, I, I kind of chuckled because I thought, yeah, there are many times in my life where I talked negative to money. I wasn't nice yeah. to money and he yeah. would not, he or she would not come to my party. No, no. Well, okay. So I, I've used this reference with money and bodies. Okay. Because we, we so often, you know, judge the money we don't have or the money we have, et cetera, and our bodies. Like they're two things that most people will judge. So I'm like, okay, so here you go. You've got it. You're going to have a party, right? And you go, would you like to come to my party? There's going to be no music and there's going to be no food and no drinks. And I'm going to be really cranky. And when you knock on the door, I'm probably going to yell at you. Are you coming? <laughs> and you're like, no, I think I'm busy that night, you know? Yeah. And it's like, that's how we treat our bodies. And that's how we treat money. You know, it's like, you know, money comes in, you're like, you're not enough, you know? And it's like, wow. <laughs> what if you could be like, Hey, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for this hundred bucks or this thousand dollars or whatever it is, or these 10 cents, you know, thank you for showing up with my life. Would you like a drink? Do you want to dance? What do you want to do? Like, let's play, let's have some fun. You know, what if we were like that? And so if you said, Hey, I'm having a party, there's going to be some wicked music, you know, some absolutely fantastic cocktails, great food, lots of really fun people. Would you like to come? You'd be like, heck yeah. So what if we were being that energy with no judgment? like that sense of joy. And that's why I actually called my book Getting Out of Debt Joyfully, which people are like, what do you mean joyfully? And I'm like, well, what if it wasn't this like hardship, like this, you know, you know, Dios mio sort of thing. What if it was like, no, we can do this joyfully. Let's choose this, you know. And so you invited money to the annual body to this party of joy and it's like, hey, we don't know what's going to happen next, but let's dance, let's play, let's have fun. And it's like that is an invitation for more money to show up. It totally is. I can imagine writing a book and picking a title. You don't just snap your fingers and you have the title. There are many words that could have been used insert instead of joy. Why did you pick joy? Um, well, it actually started from the first book that I ever wrote called Joy of Business. And because I've always had a joy of business. You know, I was delusional for a very long time. I thought that everybody had a joy of business. And I remember having this conversation with Gary Douglas, the founder of Access Consciousness, and he said to me, Simone, you're different. And I was like, no, 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 no. Everyone, like people choose what they love to do. Like that. And he said, no, they don't. And he said, business in this reality is not done for the joy of it. And I was like, yes, it is. And we had this back and forth. And he went, no, it isn't. You need to get your different. And then I was at this bar one night. This friend of mine who I'd known for years said to me, I just had this new job. And he said, Simone, you make me sick how much job satisfaction you get. And I went, what are you talking about? And he said, every single job you have, it's like you get so enthusiastic and excited about it. And he said, most people are just trying to get through the week. And you're like, it's Monday. And I was like, yay. So I ended up writing this book 
and I wanted to call it Joy of Business, which I did. And I remember Gary said to me, don't call it that. And I was like, why not? And he said, people won't get it. They won't hear it. They won't want to buy it. And I was like, but that's what it is. And he was like, don't call it that. And he kept saying that to me. And I was like, that's what I'm calling it, Joy of Business. And I'm going to say it was very interesting when it first came out. I mean, now it's translated into, I think, 16 or 17 languages and it's very popular and I've got a lot of great feedback from it. But at the beginning, it was like, oof, let's not touch that, you know. So the joy part was very imperative to me in how you get to choose your life. So with getting out of debt joyfully too, there was one main theme that I noticed with people is who were in debt. They didn't want to make more money because their point of view was, I make more money and all I have to do is pay off my debt. And the one piece I would say is you still have to live. You still have to be joyful. You still have to live. Yes, make that demand to pay off your debt, but you still got to live. So what if you could get out of debt joyfully? And what if there's a different way to go about it than what you've currently been choosing? So that's that's the joy for me. <laughs> I personally love the essence of the word and what it represents. And I feel like there could be more joy in many parts of our lives right now. And, and, you know, even the narrative that we've socially constructed on, like what our relationship to money and retirement is, sometimes that is a 40-year slog until you can retire, which it just doesn't seem so joyful. So I'm glad that people like yourselves are trying to change this narrative, whether it's coming out of debt or just coexisting with your relationship with money doesn't have to be painful till you're 65 years old so you can hopefully retire. Well, that's interesting you say that, Sean, because I've never looked at, I don't know, retiring has never been that appealing to me. I appreciate that comment. And and I guess I've heard you say point of view a couple of times and I was going to ask you, you specifically use that in your book and intuitively I think I can make sense of it, but I think there's more meaning behind it because you say that. But my point of view in that question or my reference is I work with a lot of retirees and they've worked for 40 years and they're like so excited. And then they're like, oh, this is it. This is, <laughs> this is it. And so yeah. I, I feel like, wait, wait, wow. So that's why I'm doing this podcast and some other work yeah. is like, let's talk about this relationship. So though we don't retire from, I mean, the, the word retire in itself is like, mm. it's like, I'm finished. It's over. That's not golden years to me. So I agree. Retiring, if we're retiring to something that brings us joy, then sure. But retiring to the sake of retiring, Sudoku gets boring after a while. So I hear from other people. Well, so my dad, I mean, my mother, I still don't think knows about this. He was secret because he was an accountant and he was secretly doing the bookkeeping for his local, what's the, the card game? It's a card game that older people play a lot. I can't remember the name of it. Bridge. 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 I shouldn't, I shouldn't. People are going to be cranky me now that I said older <laughs> people. But anyway, <laughs> but he was secretly doing the bookkeeping for the local bridge club because mum was like, you know, you should be stopped working, blah, blah, blah. But he loved it. He really enjoyed that. And the other thing he used to do was every morning he'd wake up at 3 a.m. and he'd make a cup of tea and he'd be awake for the New York Stock Exchange opening because it gave him so much joy. Like he still played in the stock market to the day he died. And it's like for me you know, would you be less like, oh, okay, what am I doing today? And these days are back to back. Yeah, probably. But it's like, God, I'd still love to play with money, like literally play with investing and seeing what changes you can make in the world and for myself, et cetera. So yeah, I don't think I'll ever quote unquote retire, but I'll use the the, the retirement funds here that we have to my advantage. I was talking to someone the other day and I went, it's just like a really great piggy bank until you're 65 because mm-hmm. you're paying 15% tax on it. It's like, that's a great tax rate. So, you know, use it as a piggy bank if you have the cash flow. Whole other conversation. <laughs> You've referenced your, your, your parents a couple of times in today's podcast. On this show, we, we sometimes, well, quite often, we explore our money stories. And for most of us, our families, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, our cultures, our neighbors, our neighborhoods all had a hand in influencing the meaning we usually subconsciously attached to money as a child creating these interpretations of money story. When you look back at your childhood, what influence, if anything at all, did your parents have on the story you were telling yourselves about money as a child? And how, if anything at all, has that story continued to replay today? And it requires some massaging when it shows up. 
Look, I would say I no longer function from that story. I had to outgrow it, mm. definitely. And because the way I grew up was, you know, my parents were pretty old school in the sense of I had a brother, so there's my brother and me. Like when my dad died, as an example, I had a stock portfolio. My brother has a stock portfolio. My dad had one, and I was way more successful in mine than my brother, and his dad knew that. But still, when he died, he left it to my brother to handle the family one because that's what you're meant to do. You know, the man is meant to look after the family. Years later, I actually said, hey, can I pull my money out and, and <laughs> do it myself? So I did do that. But I respected my dad that he he wanted to honour my, my brother. And growing up, my mother was very, you know, once you get the house, you have to play it safe. So, you know, my parents would buy a house and my mother would want to pay it off and that was it. And for me, I'm like, oh, now we've got equity to play with, you know. <laughs> but for her, it was like, no, that's it. And at the dinner table, you were not allowed to talk about money. You weren't allowed to talk about business either, which made no sense to me because I was so interested in it. And instead, we'd have to talk about, you know, the kid up the road who just won the swimming carnivals, like sisters, brothers, aunt. And I was like, what are we doing? Like, there's so much more to talk about, but we weren't allowed to, according to my mother. Now, my father also, like he was a, a chartered accountant, he would invest in these things. Like I remember growing up and all of a sudden we were a part owner of a, a butcher shop and then we were a part owner of this, this picnic table craze that went out and then it was this importing, exporting business with India and clothing and stuff. So he dabbled in a lot of different things. He was very much a, an entrepreneur, I guess, and I'm pretty sure he did it over here with not telling my mom exactly what was going on he needed to give her that, don't worry, everything's safe, you're going to be okay energy, which was very much that that generation, like that's mm-hmm. what it was. Mm-hmm. But I also realized that I think you struggle because I wasn't the girl, like the female girl that was supposed to not talk about money, but I also wasn't given total permission to follow in my dad's footsteps. So I kept choosing and obviously created debt and did all this stuff and created you know my whole financial life to be an absolute mess. And then I think I started more so discovering what is it that I would like. And you mentioned, I said, point of view before. And to me, your point of view is one of your greatest powers and potencies because if you have a point of view, I can't make money, that's what's going to show up. If you have a point of view, I can change this, that's what's going to show up. So, you know, I started looking at what's my point of view around money because I realized I didn't know. Like had my mother's point of view, had my father's point of view, and I was like, oh, what am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? So I started asking, what's my point of view with this? And started really asking questions about it with so many different things because, I, I, like you said, your neighborhood, you know, your school, your friends, your family, your culture, the religions, all of it. It's like, I mean, I grew up with going to a Catholic church. It's like change was called church money, you know, put that in the church money jar. So it's like there's all these things that we get you know, indoctrinated with. And then I think that's our point of view. Mm-hmm. What if it's not? So I really started going, okay, what's my point of view? And I know the day that I started surpassing anyone in my family with the amount of money that I was creating in the wealth creation. And it was a really, again, different energy and uncomfortable. I mean, you talk about that comfort zone. I think like there's a, there's a saying in um, Nashville, Tennessee that says, don't go above your raisin. And you're not meant to go above your raising, right? So when you leap out of that, it's it's like this leap of, I guess, a leap of faith, a leap of choice into something different. And I think you need to discover that for yourself of what that is and, and keep moving forward. So that's that's my how I grew up. That's the mm. chronological order. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really appreciate that. And and you're really picking up on that financial comfort zone. And the way you explain it is is so true, is that we we get pulled in, but it's that to use your words, that leap of faith. That helps us get to our zone, you know, not not what was kind of given to us. And, yeah. you know, as we come full circle here, as we opened up talking about you and Bali going there with your company, I, as I hear your story, I see parts of your father being an entrepreneur going to Bali with your company. But yet there seemed like that residual story of your mother maybe being a little conservative in terms of not wanting to put yourself too much out there when you had that resistant hug to Gary. And yet it seems like it was something in that time of your life that gave you permission to be your story. And 21 years later, you've helped Access grow to four to 176 countries. You've written three books. So 
Seems like this story is uh, certainly a story that you have the pen to now. Yes, absolutely. And to me, Sean, a lot of the times I'm like, what if it's only just begun? What if this is just Mm. the tip of the iceberg? My last question is, let's assume this story keeps going and going and going, and it's coming to an end now. We're at end of life. And you are sitting on a front porch, somewhere that brings you complete peace, something that you've been cultivating, peace, contentment, and ease. And you're just looking out at this prairie, ocean, minus 30 mountain in Canada, whatever brings you that peace. <laughs> and you're on this front Why porch. Why am I you... sitting on the porch if it's in <laughs> yeah. Canada, 25? That's my question. No. <laughs> That's good. I, I just I just snapped us right out of this nice, peaceful image. So let's say we're on a beach, we're on a front porch, you pull out your notebook and you decide to write a letter to the world about what you learned about having a healthy, happy relationship with money. What would be a theme to that letter? It would have to be don't judge, like don't judge and quit trying to get it right. If you come out of the rightness of your point of view, there's freedom. Thank you. I I appreciate that. I like that. Well, Simone, that was an enjoyable conversation. Uh, For people listening and they want to hear more about your story, your books, you have three books, Relationship, Are You Sure You Want One, Joy of Getting Business that you talked about and Getting Out of Debt Joyfully. Where would you point people towards? You also have a podcast. Tell everyone where they can find more of you. You can go. I mean, if you Google my name, Simone Millises, so it's S-I-M-O-N-E-M-I-L-A-S-A-S.com is my website, my Instagram, all of it and more. And accessconsciousness.com, you can go there. You can find all my stuff on there as well. So, And the books are all at your favorite places online, wherever that is for you, wherever you are in the world. Well, thank you so much. And we'll put that in the show notes. And I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. It was a good conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Simone as much as I did. Before you head out, if you could remember to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review, that would be greatly appreciated. Until next time, have yourself a good week. I'm on a mountain without a top My wealth is measured and now I spend my time But now I write a freedom story With every breath inhaled Money is not the boat of life It's just the wind in the sail